Live from the basement, this is Cellar Dweller Sports. And we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac. Welcome back to the Cellar. We're still here with the New York Metropolitans. Today's episode, we will cover the topics of NBA. We'll go over the playoffs, NHL review of the second round, IO's recap. Then we'll go on to the semifinal predictions for the NHL, MLB division leaders, midseason awards for the MLB, and the Mets and Yankees rewind. All right, so first we'll talk out talk about the Nets in the NBA. The Nets lose the series to the Raptors in a 4-0 sweep. I thought the Nets would put up a contest against the Raptors, but it seems I was completely wrong. Every game was a blowout besides game two, and it was atrocious basketball by the team. The only bright side for me was Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, and surprisingly TLC's efforts. They showed in these games that they are playing for next year. My prediction was right, but I actually had the Raptors in five instead. Yeah, K-Dog, uh, you know, you and I both picked the Raptors to win this. We both picked the Raptors to win in five games, throwing the, the nets a bone, hoping they'll win a game. But the Raptors disposed of Brooklyn in four games, uh, of which none of which were close except game two, which Brooklyn only lost by four points. But uh, this series was the mismatch we thought it would be. We predicted game five, five game series, throwing the Nets to bone, like I said before, but they couldn't even manage one game. The margin of victory was about 20 points per game. You know, the Raptors went out early in game one. Mm-hmm. Nets make a bit of a run to close to a manageable gap, but Toronto started trying again and blew the Nets out. Uh, you know, F- Fred Van Fleet led the way with 30 points, 10 assists for the Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Raptors had 22 three-pointers, which set a franchise playoff record. You know, and the Nets were led by TLC with 26 points, you know, who played well in the bubble and also played well in the, uh, the, the playoffs. Game two, you know, the Nets actually led uh, this game in the third quarter. And at one point we're up 14 points, but the Raptors took the lead in the fourth quarter was in control after that. Nets had final shot to send to OT, but Raptors stole the ball, sealed the victory with the dunk. The series was no low contender after game two. Game three was a blowout. Toronto led by 15 at the half, by 30 in the fourth quarter. You know, and then Toronto took care of business in game four. Came out early, built a big lead, although only nine at the half. Toronto came out of halftime and went on a 12-0 run, never looked back, burying the Nets and moving on to round two. The biggest question for Toronto at this point is the health of Kyle Lowry, who left the game with a foot injury. Uh, Lowry will need to be healthy for Toronto to beat the Celtics. Uh, As far as the Nets, you know, you touched on it, K-Dog, entering the KD era. This is what it's been about for Brooklyn. This season was a throwaway due to the Durant injury. You know, the question will will be how well the Durant-Kyrie Irving experiment will work. I'm kind of skeptical skeptical because I have no confidence in Kyrie. The other other question is who will be the coach? Will it be 
Jock Vaughn. I wouldn't, uh, I don't have a lot of confidence with Vaughn, but the players may like him if they can influence him. You know, and the Nets players don't seem to want a tough coach, which could be a problem for the Nets. We waited a year for KD, and let's hope he's what we've been expecting, and it's not a first-round playoff exit. So, as you stated, K-Dog, it's looking forward to the KD era starting in December of next of this year. Yeah, very true. Hopefully, KD could bring us to a finals appearance, hopefully, and maybe we could pick up someone in the offseason to help bolster our roster. Yeah, do but- you think Vaughn will be the coach? Um, I'm not sure yet. He could, he's looking like a viable option, but also I think ESPN commentator Mark Jackson could also be a coach option. But as of right now, Jock Vaughn looks pretty good as the coach. So why not run with him? Good thought. Uh, okay. On to the rest of the series. We're going to start in the East. We'll go with the one seated, uh, Milwaukee Bucks versus the eight seated Orlando magic. Uh, the first game, for this series was a fluke. The Magic won this the first game, but it was a fluke. The Bucks have dominated the rest of the series and the games with ease. Giannis is showing why he's an MVP this year, having a uh, 35 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists in Game 3. So far, my prediction is correct for this series. Yeah, K-Dog, you know, I picked the Bucks in five games, and it looks like that will still happen with the Bucks up 2-1 at this point. You know, the Magic surprised the Bucks in game one with a shocking upset. I think it was a wake-up call for Giannis and the Bucks, who really weren't impressive in the seeding round. Kind mm-hmm. of slept and kind of slept through, slept walked through game one. Game one, Orlando led most of the way, winning by 18 in the second quarter. Bucks made several runs, but the Magic were able to answer each time. Bucks cut it to six in the fourth, but Orlando hung on to win. You know, last year the Magic beat Raptors in game one and lost four straight. I expect the same will happen here. Milwaukee has won the next two games and looked to be looked to take a stranglehold on the series. Game two, they won by 15, took control early, getting up by 23 in the first half. Milwaukee dominated in the paint and held Orlando scoreless for long stretches of the game. Bucks defense, you know, has was improved in this game. Giannis led the way with 28 points. Orlando's Vucevic uh, continues to give the Bucks trouble and had 35 and 32 points in first two games, but not enough magic beside, besides him to make a difference. Uh, you know, game three was a route, and the Bucks started, and the Bucks are starting to roll. They're up 17 at the half, again, holding magic to long stretches without scoring. Bucks continue to improve D, which will be a key to going far in the playoffs. You know, the Bucks were up 34 in the third. Orlando cut it to 12 late, but Bucks got serious and went on a, a run to seal the game. One difference in the series is Milwaukee out-rebounded Miami in games two and three after Orlando won the, the board match uh, in game one. And mm-hmm. they, Milwaukee may have also figured out how to guard Bucevic, who uh, torched them in games one and two. So I'm looking for Milwaukee to seal the deal in five and the magic to repeat history uh, by winning game one and losing the next four. Yeah, that's true. It seems like the Bucks are showing why they're a title contender this year in this series. And then for the next series, we have the two Raptors versus the seven Nets. We already talked about this. The Raptors already showed 
that they they swept them. They're a finals contender as well. I think they're they're the favorite to come out of the East now, but that's just my opinion. No, certainly uh, Tor- Toronto's a, a favorite, no doubt. Yeah, and then on to the next series, we have the three-seeded Boston Celtics versus the seven-seeded Philadelphia 76ers. My prediction was correct. It seems that the Sixers have lost their quote-unquote process and their team is crumbling as we speak. Joel Embiid didn't look really good at all. The rest of the team was also terrible. At the end of the series, it seems like they gave up. Tatum and Kemba led the Celtics to a series win without an injured Gordon Hayward. Yes, K-Dog. You know, we both picked Boston. I picked them in six games. You know, I thought this would be more competitive, but Boston just dismantled the Sixers. And, you know, we picked Boston weeks before the Ben Simmons injury. Uh, But the presence of Ben Simmons, I don't think, would have made a significant difference. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Sixers would win a game instead of getting swept. You know, Boston sweeps the series and the process away. It's the first sweep in 15 postseason meetings against the Sixers. For the Celtics, they move on to the second round versus Toronto, which is going to be a great matchup led by Kemba Walker, who got better each game coming back from injury. Game one, 19 points. Game two, 22 points. Game three, 24 points. And he wraps it up with a 32-point performance in game four. You know Kemba's a proven winner from his days at UConn. He's just what the Celtics need to make a serious run. And I'm sure the Celtics are happy to get rid of all the Kyrie drama and now have a consummate professional like Kemba Walker leading the way. You know, I, we really like him as an athlete, obviously, since uh, mm-hmm. his days at UConn. You know, in the backcourt of Kemba and Jason Tatum was just too much for Philly to handle. We talked about the biggest factor in Ben Simmons' absence would be that Philly has nobody to cover Tatum, and it showed. Tatum mm-hmm. had 28 points in the clincher, career-high 15 boards. Game one, Tatum had 32 points, 13 rebounds, 15 in game two. And the Sixers couldn't compete in the, the backcourt with Boston. Uh, you know, and for Philly, it's about the future and how do the how do they move forward? Is it gonna be with both Embiid and Simmons? You know, Embiid played fairly well, but this team doesn't have an identity. You and I talked about that for a while now. You know, changes are coming. And you mm-hmm. know, we we predicted that Brent Brown will be fired. Yes. Um, well before any other media outlet started talking about him being fired. You and I spoke about it on a prior show that, you know, after they lose, he's going to be fired. So mm-hmm. now, now everybody else is talking about it after they heard it from us first. Oh, of course. Right, right. So uh, that, you know, that has to be the first domino to fall. You know, Philly's 12 and 14 in the playoffs in the seven years as head coach that he's been head coach. We gave the Celtics the coding advantage and it was glaring in this series. Brown was out coach. He had no answer for the Celts backcourt. Then, you know, then they have to figure out what type of team they want to be and, and make the appropriate personnel decisions. The process is broken. Time to move on and call the next Philly movement the result because the process has resulted in nothing. Yeah, that is true. I think Brett Brown is on his way out as well as the GM Elton Brand. They show that they're paying the wrong players at the wrong time as well. They gave Al Horford an 
unreasonable contract with his play, and I think Elton Brand's on his way out too. Could be, K-Dog, could be. And then the last series in the East, we're going to go with the four-seeded Indiana Pacers versus the five-seeded Miami Heat. Uh, So far, my prediction is correct. The Heat are up 3-0. I thought the Pacers would already have a game in hand, but it seems like that's not the case. Jimmy Butler did indeed shut down bubble standout TJ Warren. The three-point shooting from the Heat is incredible so far, especially from Duncan Robinson. All of his, all 81% of his points come from the three ball, which is very interesting. And the rookie standouts earn their stripes in this series. Every game has been close, but the shot, the shots have been falling the right way for the Heat. Yeah, you know, I picked Miami in five games to win in five games. They're up three zip. Uh, the series is really going as expected. We talked about all the Pacers injuries, and that they mm-hmm. exceeded expectations this season because of all those injuries. And it's hard to get by in the playoffs with all these injuries because you're playing the best teams night in and night out. There's no cupcakes on the schedule. You know, game one, Jimmy Buckets drops 28, and Drogic has 24 points. And they win by a dozen. Oladipo goes down getting his eye scratch, which was significant in game, game one, you know, uh, it was, it was, it was a one point game going to the fourth, but Miami pulled away game two Pacers, you know, win by nine with the, the, um, heat win by nine, Mm -hmm. the balanced attack led by Duncan Robinson's 24 points. And again, Drogic at 20, you know, the Pacers led by Oladipo and his return from the scratched eye with 22, you know, Miami made a run in the third quarter to put it away in that game. Then game three, Miami comes out strong up by 18 at the half. Pacers open ha- half with a run, cutting it to eight late. You know, they cut it to two points three times in the fourth quarter. But, you know, Miami and Jimmy Buckets and Drogic were just too powerful. Uh, T.J. Warren had 23 points in game three, but it looks – like it's midnight for Pacers and Warren's Cinderella story at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, that is true. Even with the Heat performing like they are now, imagine what they'll be like in three years from now when Nunn and Hero are significantly better veterans. So, like, this team could go farther in the playoffs this year, but they could be title contenders in two years from now. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that comment. You know, Tyler Hero coming off the bench has had as significant contributions in this playoff series, and you know, they're with time they'll have a lot of depth, and and they'll be a talented team going forward. Yeah, you're right. On to the Western Conference. We'll start with the one seeded Los Angeles Lakers versus the eight seeded Portland Trailblazers. So far, my prediction is wrong. The Blazers had a great first game, setting up a win and an eventual chance to make the series 2-0 in their favor. But to no avail, the Lakers ended up blowing out the Blazers in Game 2, followed by a great win in Game 3 for the Lakers. Besides Game 2, LeBron has been LeBron, obviously. His most impressive game was in, a, it was in the Game 1 loss with a 23-17-16 triple-double. I hate to say it, but my prediction may be wrong for this one. Okay, with the Lakers-Portland, you know, I picked the Blazers to upset the Lakers in six games, which is still possible with Lakers up 2-1 in series. Blazers took game one with the big upset, but the, the Fakers have righted the ship. 
mm-hmm. winning the next two games. Lakers blew out Portland by 23 in game two. I think they realized they needed to show up to beat Portland. And, you know, Portland wasn't just going to mail this thing in, being happy to be there. Game three, Lakers won by eight. So it was competitive. Game three was what everyone expected of the Lakers and why they traded for Davis. You know, James and Davis took control of this game, combining for 67 points. The Lakers' D has stepped up since game one, holding down the Blazers' high-powered offense. Though 108 points in game three was the highest of the series for the uh, Trail Blazers. You know, Lillard responded with 34 points after returning from broken finger and C.J. McCollum with 28. But Trail Blazers' dynamic duo wasn't as good as the Lakers' dynamic duo. Blazers have to limit the scoring of either Davis or James to win series. If they continue continue to combine for over 50% of Lakers' points, the Blazers will lose the next two games. They have to play better defense and make the Lakers work on both ends of the court. If they do that, they have the potential to come back and, and win this. Yeah, that is true. And luckily enough, since the Blazers got blown out, we got to see a quick little 10 minutes from Bonnie's alum, Jalen Adams. He had four points, two rebounds, and two assists. Very impressive. Yeah, that was great to see uh, Jalen Adams play and go Bonas. True. On to our next series, we have the two-seeded Los Angeles Clippers versus the seven-seeded Dallas Mavericks. Series is still up in the air on this one. The series was just tied last night, 2-2. The series between the Mavericks and Clippers is a very interesting one. In the latest game, injured Luka Doncic had 43 points, 17 rebounds, and 13 assists with the game winner with the game winner at the end. Absolutely unbelievable from a 21-year-old. On the Clippers side, Kawhi's been doing his thing with 33 points per game. Paul George, on the other hand, has been absolutely terrible. Terrible. I think it's going to be a great series the rest of the way, though. Terrible. Paul, Paul George has been terrible. You know, I picked the Clippers to win this series, um, and you know, which is currently tied at two. It has definitely been the most entertaining series uh, in the NBA thus far. I thought the Clips D would beat the Mavs offense. You know, I've been critical of the Mavs D. They don't play any any D, and you need D to win the chip. I didn't think the Mavs would score as they have against the Clips, but boy, was I wrong. You know, Dallas is averaging uh, 123 points per game against the Clippers, and which is mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, the story is the young Mavs versus the experienced Lakers. What can you say about Luka Doncic and and Kristaps Porzingis? Game four was a huge win, overtime win. Clips could be up 3-1 to essentially have won the series, and now they're fighting for their lives. Clips were up by 21. Mavs come storming back, led by Doncic, with a triple-double, 43.17 rebounds and 13 assists, hitting the game-winning triple at the buzzer. And you have to remember he's on a tender ankle, and he's still doing this. You know, Also, the Mavs won game four without Porzingis, who's mm-hmm. out with a, a knee. You know, Trey Burke and Hardaway stepped up, chipped in over 20 points apiece. If Mavs get Porzingis back, it will be a huge lift to this team. On the flip side, the Clippers had an opportunity to win this in regulation, but Kawhi's three-point shot was off the mark at the horn. The question becomes, why did Kawhi switch on 
Doncic's game-winning shot. You want the best defender covering the shot, and Kawhi shouldn't have switched. Yeah. He should have stayed with him, covered him the whole time. You know, and K Dog, you touched on this. The other story is where is Paul George? You know, we've been critical of Paul, Paul George on this show, saying mm-hmm. he's overrated, can't win by himself or carry a team. You know, he hooked his wagon to Kawhi in the hopes of winning a chip, but he's contributed nothing. He's only scored 34 points in the last three games, shooting just 29% from the field in the series. You know, he's playing like he's already on vacation in Cancun, not like Dame. But he, he's playing as we've talked about. You know, then you got Pat Beverly, the other guy who's chatting all the time. He's hurt. He's not even playing. He didn't play in game four. He's also vacationing in Cancun. You know, karma's a tough thing. So keep yapping because neither of their performances are, you know, are talking on the court. You know, if Kawhi doesn't raise his game to Superman-like performances, the Clips will be in Cancun sooner rather than later. Yeah, that is true. Paul George, playoff P, as he calls himself, is looking disgusting play-wise. It's just terrible. Yeah, there's no playoff P. Yeah, on to our next series. We're going to go with the three-seeded Denver Nuggets versus the six-seeded Jazz. Uh, My prediction looks wrong for this one. The Jazz are up 3-1 on the Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell has taken over this series with huge games. The return of Mike Conley is what pushed this team to a potential series win. He's a leader on the court and is giving a boost to the rest of the squad. Jamal Murray and Jokic look decent on the other side, but all the losses have been blowouts. That has to deal with their depth, I think. It looks like the depth of the Jazz is much better. Yeah, Denver, Utah. um, I picked Denver to win this in seven games, and unless there's a big turnaround, this won't happen. Denver won first game, and it's been all Utah since, although game four was close. Utah blew out Denver in games two and three by 19 points in an embarrassing 37-point loss, which is third third worst loss in Denver playoff history. Denver came back in game four, played respectively, but the Jazz took control in third quarter, held on. You know, the story in this series is Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz, who became only the fourth player in NBA history to score 50 points or more in a single postseason. Mitchell had 51 in game four and 57 in game one. You know, Denver will not be able to handle the onslaught and the firepower of Utah, so I don't see him coming back, and I expect my prediction to be wrong in this series. Yep, and now on to our last series in the West. We are going to go with the four-seeded Houston Rockets versus the five-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. The series right now, in my opinion, is up in the air. The Rockets are up 2-1, but the Thunder came storming back in game four to win in overtime. CP3 and Shy Gilgis have been have been great, having great games as well. On the Rockets side, Harden has been the shooter he is, outstanding numbers. PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon have been proving that this team this team could be for real. We'll see what happens though. K Dog, you know, we I picked the Thunder in six games, which is still possible with the Rockets being up two one. You know, after going down to zip, OKC pulled off an OT win, which was huge because this kept the Rockets from getting a stranglehold on the series. They go down 3 nothing; It's over for OKC. And uh, Chris Paul 
has more time to uh, record his all-state commercials. However, you know, after Houston took care of business in, fir- in the first two games with dub- dub- double-digit victories, the OKC guard showed up for game three, led by Schroeder, Chris Paul, and Shy. OKC had four players with 20 or more points for first mm-hmm. time since 1976 when the Seattle Supersonics did it because Gallinari chipped in 20. Uh, you know, Lugin Dort, uh, if he's healthy, seems as though he can be the key in this series, uh, you know, with defending James Harden. Mm-hmm. Game, game one without Dort, Harden dropped over 35 points. Game two, Harden covered by Dort, had only 21 points. Mm-hmm. And then game three, Dort held Harden to three for 14 from the field. So if he can continue to lock down Harden, OKC can make the run needed to win. Houston has to be concerned with Westbrook's injury. You know, mm-hmm. the, they didn't need him in games one and two, but we'll need him to finish off OKC. And Westbrook's status is uncertain at this time. So, you know, this could be interesting. This could get really interesting. I think OKC has a little momentum going, and uh, maybe they can even up the series. If they can do that, then it's anybody's series. Yeah, I think OKC could uh, give the Rockets a run for their money. I still think the Thunder will win this series. I think they'll win in seven now. I said six before, but I think they'll win in seven now. Could now be. on, now on to the next topic. We have the NHL predict the NHL review of the second round. First, we'll start off with the one seated Flyers versus the eight seated Canadians. The Flyers won this series four two. Yeah, it was like it wasn't a really good series in my opinion. Uh, Carter Hart had a pretty good series as well. The only game that seemed out of reach for the Flyers was the 5-0 loss to the Canadians in Game 2, but the Flyers took control for the rest of the series, I think, in my opinion. Well, this this series went as we expected, right? I, I picked the Flyers to win the mm-hmm. series in six games, which they did. Got the, per, the pick correct and number of games correct. Yeah. You know, we talked about this series that – I thought the only way the Canadians could win is if Carey Price stood on his head and was just incredible. You know, he played well, but not well enough. The Flyers just had a little bit more firepower than the Canadians, a little bit more defense than the Canadians, and as as equally as good goaltending as the as the Canadians. So Flyers move on. Canadians exceeded expectations because they wouldn't even made the playoffs if it wasn't for the COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic. Right. And, you know, nobody thought they were going to get by Pittsburgh game one. So, no, they did well. Yeah, that is true. On to the next series in the East. We have the two seated Tampa Bay Lightning versus the seven seated Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, the Lightning won this series 4-1. My prediction was correct. The whole series. Oh, my prediction was wrong. Actually, I had the Blue Jackets winning in seven. This was surprising to me because uh, the whole series was filled with close games, but the Lightning came out on top on each of the games. They had a few overtime games. The Lightning found a way. I thought the Lightning would choke, but it seems that the Blue Jackets couldn't take advantage of the poor uh, goaltending from Vasilevsky in round two. In my opinion, I was with you. K-Dog, I picked CBJ in seven games, got this series completely wrong. I thought uh, Columbus's four-checking 
would be a significant factor in this game, slowing down the Lightning offense, uh, just as CBJ did in the first round against Toronto. Uh, however, you know, the Lightning persevered and really dominated this series. They're getting tremendous goaltending. Uh, that is the Lightning from Kadobin and uh, mm-hmm. C- CBJ's dynamic duo of goaltending, you know, just just wasn't up to it and wasn't uh, as good as they were in the prior series against Toronto, you know, so lightning uh, move on uh, and go to the next, next round of the playoffs. Yeah, that is, that was a change of, uh, for me, I thought the blue jackets would win. Unfortunately they did not, but on to our next series, we'll go three seated capitals versus the six seated Islanders. The Islanders won this series four one, but we'll go more into depth later in the show. We'll cover the, the two final games in that series. On to the next series, we have the four-seeded Boston Bruins versus the five-seeded Hurricanes. Bruins won this series 4-1. I got this prediction wrong. I had the Hurricanes in six. The Bruins dominated the hot-handed Hurricanes. Even with the loss of Tukarask, uh, Yaroslav Halak, ex-Islander, came up clutch for the Bruins. Marshan and DeBrusque had some offensive power as well. And Bergeron, the assistant captain, helped out on the offensive side too. Yeah, K-Dog, I got this this one completely wrong as well. I picked the Canes to win in seven games. You know, uh, it wasn't – the series wasn't close. It wasn't close at all. You know, even with two Garask opting out suddenly at the last minute uh, before, I believe, game three, uh, it just wasn't – it just wasn't close. Yarrow stepped in uh, admirably, played solid in goaltending. The uh, Bruins controlled every facet of the game. You know, in Carolina, it looks like they were they were spent from the previous series, uh, and you know just didn't have that same level of energy that they had against the Rangers. You know, and, and Boston moves on. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's true. They looked pretty slow for the Hurricanes as they swept the Rangers in the first round. Maybe the Rangers uh, pushed them to their limit and they couldn't finish it off for the Bruins. Yeah, well, you know, in, in round one, the the favorites, the chalk, uh, held up except with the except the Isles upset the Caps. Otherwise, the favorites won every other series. Uh, you know, I went two 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 and two predicting the Eastern Conference, so got to do better. Yeah. On to the Western Conference matchups. We'll go. We'll start with the one-seeded Vegas Golden Knights versus the eight-seeded Chicago Blackhawks. The Knights won this series 4-1. I thought the Knights would sweep, but it turns out that the Blackhawks took a game from them. The series was no contest, in my opinion. The goaltending of Fleury and Leonard surpassed the goaltending of Crawford. Great series all around for the Knights on the offensive side, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I got this one right, K-Dog. I picked Vegas in five games. Uh, I, I figured Chicago would at least steal a game, and they did. You know, don't, you know Chicago has some uh, skilled players, certainly, uh, with Taze and Kane and good goaltending as well. Uh, but they're no match for Vegas, you know, and, and Robin Leonard, Leonard insured his former team. Uh, had had no life. He was tremendous, and mm-hmm. um, as expected, Vegas goes on. And again, Chicago wouldn't even have been in the playoffs if it wasn't for the uh, 
revised playoff format due to the COVID-19. But um, nevertheless, they took they made the best of their opportunity. They just don't have enough. Yeah, you're right. On to the next series in the West, we have the two-seeded Colorado Avalanche versus the seven-seeded Arizona Coyotes. The Avs won this series 4-1. I had this the Avs winning in five as well. So my prediction was correct on both ends. This series was also no contest. The goaltending of Grubauer and Francois took care of the Coyotes. The offensive prowess of McKinnon and Rantanen was immense. Another great series for the Avalanche. Yeah, I picked uh, Colorado in a sweep, four games to nothing. Uh, however, Phoenix stole a game, you know, but I still got the pick correct. I, I, I think, you know, Colorado is a legitimate candidate to come out of the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the Coyotes, who I didn't pick in the first round, you know, they wouldn't have made it out of the first round if it wasn't for Darcy Kemper, who stood on his head. I didn't think he could keep up his goaltending magic. Um, and he couldn't. They just couldn't handle they just couldn't handle uh, Colorado. And, um, you know, Colorado took care of business. Uh, Kemper's magic ran out. Uh, he must have been fatigued because he was a shooting gallery in round one and he was a shooting gallery again in round two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the better team won and, and moved on. Yeah, seven goals from the Avs in the closeout game. That was very impressive. Uh, bad for the bad for the Coyotes, but it's a it's whatever. On to the next series in the West, we have the three seeded Dallas Stars versus the six seeded Calgary Flames. Stars won this series four two. I had this one correct as well. I'm pretty sure I had the Stars in five though. Every game was close besides Game Six, where the Stars blew out the Flames. The Stars were down 2-1 and came back with three straight wins to win the series. Bishop and Kubadin stepped up at the end of the series as well. The Stars scored 14 goals in the final three games. A team isn't going to win with that kind of goaltending in the flame side. No, definitely not, right? So, you know, I picked Dallas in six games, so I got both the uh, series winner and the number of games correct. You know, Dallas... Dallas's offense finally got it going. They've been stagnant for a while. And the Flames goalie, Cam Talbot, couldn't keep up his goaltending, goaltending excellence in this series, right? So once da- Dallas got it going, they, they handled uh, the Flames rather easily. And mm-hmm. uh, as expected, Dallas moves on to the next round. Yes. And on to the final series in the West, we have the four-seeded St. Louis Blues versus the five-seeded Canucks. The Canucks won this series 4-2. My prediction was correct. The Blues are finally taken down as past champs. It was a close series, though. The goaltending of Bennington wasn't good at all. Last year's performance seems so far away for Bennington. This ended up being the kryptonite for the Blues. The offensive power of the high-flying Canucks took over, and it was too much for the Blues in the end. Yeah, I picked uh, the Canucks in seven games. Canucks won in six games. Um, you know, and it, and it came, the, the Blues goaltending was shaky with Bennington. You know, and then they had to go to Jake Allen in one game because Bennington was shaky. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about it earlier on the podcast and our predictions that Bennington uh, hadn't played that strongly during the regular season and that in order for the Blues to move on, he would have to regain – his playoff form of last year. He didn't gain his, his uh, 
playoff form of last year. So, you know, it didn't matter because the Blues couldn't duplicate last year's magical run and the young and the dangerous Canucks move on from this point. Yeah, Canucks are very scary. Watch out for them in the West. Yeah, and so, you know, just to wrap up the Western Conference playoffs, uh, let it be known that I picked all four series correctly and uh, for round one in total, picked six of eight series correctly. How about you? I think I had the same series amount correct. Yeah, yeah, all six out of eight, all perfect on the Western side. But now on to, we'll recap the Islanders games for our next topic, games four and five. Iowa's lost game four by the score of three to two. The Islanders started off the game really hot, up 2-0 in the first period from the help of Anders Lee and Matt Barzell. Surprisingly, Matt Barzell scored once again, and that's where it ended. The Capitals scored three straight goals to win the game. That's why the 2-0 lead is truly the worst lead in sports. And that lead, uh, after that lead, they looked really sluggish. They look slower than usual, and that did them in eventually in Game 4. Yeah, that that Game 4 was odd, right? So Game 3, Islanders have a huge win in overtime Mm -hmm. uh, with with Matt Barzell scoring off of the huge save by Varley, right? So the Caps steal the puck from Andy Green. They go the other way on a breakaway. He stops the breakaway shot. He stops the rebound. Islanders go the other way. Barzell's dipsy doodling finally pays off and he finds the back of the net in overtime game three up three zip Isles take a stranglehold on that series kind of knew it was over at that point you know game four you talked about Islanders got off to a fast start best I think I've seen them play you know this whole year including mm-hmm. the playoffs in that first period up two zip you know and then they just ran out of gas it seemed like the legs weren't there they weren't working harder as hard as they typically do along the boards and the corners. They kind of lost a little bit of their style of play where they chip and chase the puck, you know, getting it in deep, winning the corner battles, kind of just seemed like they stopped playing. But you got to give credit to, you know, the Caps. The Caps are a good team. And, you know, they save face by winning game four. Game five, you know, the Islanders came out and took care of business. I mean, they, they dominated that game from beginning to end. They played Islanders hockey. The Caps really never had a chance in, in that game. They didn't mm-hmm. have any really significant scoring chances. And the uh, Isles defense and goaltending was superior to the Caps. And, you know, the, the Islanders outscored the Caps by quite a large margin, which is unbelievable. Uh, considering the Caps' firepower, uh, because the Isles don't have anyone, you know, as skilled uh, of a, a goal scorer as uh, Ovechkin, that's for certain. So, you know, the Islanders went back to the basics, did what they did be- do best, and they won game five, and they move on to uh, round two, as we both predicted. Yeah, that is right. That, uh, just to clarify, they won, the, they won game five by the score of 4-0, my notes on the game was it was all Islanders, like you said. It was a fantastic shutout by Varlamov, saving all 21 shots. 21 shots isn't a lot in a playoff game, to be honest. So that means the defense was also helping with the help of Adam Pellick. 
he was he's been fantastic in both series so far for the defense. Ovilia continued his hot streak, scoring the first two goals for the Islanders, and then at the end of the game when they pulled the the goalie, Nick Letty had a full full ice goal into the open net, which was very interesting. And Bailey had another empty netter to to end it. And for the Caps, see you later. Yeah, no, um, I think you uh, summarized game five really well. You know, when you talked about Varlamov only facing like 21, 22 shots, which Mm -hmm. which is true, and that's the IL style of play. But Varley came up big in some instances where if he wasn't rock solid, the momentum of the game could have easily changed, right? If he doesn't make that save in overtime uh, and that second rebound save in overtime, you know, the Canucks are only down 2-1 instead of 3-0, much different series. And he always seemed to come through when the Islanders were running around and scrambling. He always seemed to make the big stop. And, you know, you get a lot of confidence, uh, you know, with – him being able to make, knowing he's going to make that big stop. You get a lot of confidence when, when the uh, team is struggling defensively. So, and, the, and that's what he's going to have to do in the next round. Mm-hmm. That is true. And now we'll move on to the playoff semifinal predictions for the NHL. And we'll start with the one seeded flyers versus the six seeded Islanders, our Islanders. I think the Islanders will win this series in six, the two series wins in the past against the great Capitals and the decent Panthers give them the edge, I think, in my opinion. Also, the goaltending, in my opinion, is better over Varlamov uh, and Carter Hart. I think Varlamov is better. The Flyers started off with an easy series against the Canadians, and now they'll run into the Islanders. Uh, the outstanding goal scoring of Beauvillier and Pajot, as well as the stellar defense, beats Claude Giroux and the Flyers. Yeah, I'd say you were looking at my notes, but uh, we're hundreds of miles apart, so you couldn't have looked at my notes. (laughs) But I'm picking the Isles in six games as well. And it's not because I'm an Isles fan, which I am, uh, but because I'm giving the Islanders the goaltending edge, the defensive edge, and I'm even giving them the offensive advantage. Yes, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, also the offensive advantage. You know, first the Isles won the season series, three games to zip. So Isles have had success against Philly. Starting with the goalies, I give the edge to the Isles of Varlamov. Varley was excellent against the Caps with a 1.67 goals against average in the playoffs, which is the best among remaining playoff goalies. Although Carter Hart has been impressive as well with a 1.71 goals against second best of remaining playoff goalies. You know, mm-hmm. defensively, I think the Isles' overall scheme is better than the Flyers. Isles are really deep on the blue line, led by Adam Pellick, as you talked about earlier, and Nick Letty. You know, mm-hmm. a- Andy Green has filled in admirably for Johnny Boychuk, who's been out. Uh, yeah. Don't know Boychuk's status for this series, but a return would be significant for the Isles' defensive core. You know, the Flyers' defense has been exceptional also only giving up 16 goals in the playoffs and versus the Islanders 15 goals. Mm-hmm. If the Isles have a weakness defensively, it's been with the penalty kill only killing 75% of power plays, which will have to improve, but five on five, nobody's better than the Isles advantage de- defensively to Isles. 
you know, and I never thought I'd say Isles have offensive advantage against anyone because that's not who they are. But they yeah. dominated the caps on the scoreboard with an average of 3.4 goals a game, significantly higher than their 2.7 goals per game average during the regular season. You know, the Isles have scored 30 goals in the playoffs, only fourth uh, behind the high-flying offenses of the Canucks in Colorado. The Isles have a balanced attack led by Josh Bailey and Anthony Bovelli, Bovillier, both in the top 15 in scoring in the playoffs. On the flip side, the Flyers have struggled, only scoring 22 goals in the playoffs. The Flyers' big guns haven't been scoring. Claude Giroux has zero goals in nine postseason games, and Kevin Hayes has one goal in the playoffs. It will be hard to get them going against the Isles. Uh, believe it or not, the Isles have the power play advantage against Philly. With yeah, 15, that's interesting. Oh, it's unbelievable. 15.8% per uh, conversion rate, and the Flyers have a measly 10%. So there's somebody more <laughs> anemic on the power play than the Isles. You know, so, you know, the Isles power play was really bad against the Caps. It's got to improve to ensure a series victory, you know. But all of this gives the Isles the offensive advantage. Lastly, Isles have the coaching advantage. I know Elaine Vigneault has had success in the league, but it's bad. But what Barry Trotz is doing with this Isles team is unbelievable. Barry is undoubtedly the best coach in the league. The Isles will win all facets of the game and have the coaching advantage, which is why this will be a flashback to 1980 Stanley Cup finals resulting in an Islanders victory and the Isles going to the Eastern Conference finals. Yeah, that is right. And now on to the last game in the last series in the East. We'll take on the two-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning versus the four-seeded Boston Bruins. I think the Bruins win this series in five. The great goaltending of Yaroslav Halak in the last series carries over into this series. Pasternak, Marshan, and DeBrusque will bring the goal scoring and will take down Vasilevsky and Kucherov. I think the Lightning will choke this one, this series, this time. I said that they would last series, but they didn't. I think this one they will choke. Yeah, well, okay, dog. Nobody in Tampa loves you because you pick against all, all you know, the Lightning every, every game, every round, right? Mm-hmm. And, and plus, uh, we don't like Tom Brady, so I'm sure you'll be picking against <laughs> him once football season rolls around. So yeah. you're not you're not getting any love letters from Tampa. So you know, I'm picking Tampa to win in six games. You and I are going head to head on this one, so I'm looking forward to to that. You know, I'm really not high on either team, but I think Tampa has the advantage in goal, you know, that will be the difference. Neither team is scoring a lot, so it'll come down to goaltending. Rask has opted out, and Halak was excellent against the Canadians, but the Habs don't have a high-powered offense either. I like Yarrow when he was with the Isles. Yarrow's a solid goalie, but Vasilevsky is better. Vasilevsky mm-hmm. had a, has a 1.98 goals against average in the playoffs. You know, and I don't think Boston will score enough to win. I think Tampa will score just enough to win. Tampa's offense will be led by Braden Point and Kucherov. Both are in the top 20 in playoff scoring. Boston only has David Krychek in top 20 in scoring. 
and uh, only scoring 19 goals as a team in the playoffs, you know, you're, you're not going to score. You're not going to win only scoring 19 goals uh, as a team in the playoffs. You know, Pasternak has to be healthy. If Pasta's not healthy, Boston can't win. These two teams are evenly matched in every facet, but I think Vasilevsky will be the difference and bring the Lightning to the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah, you're right. That That's true. Now on to the Western Conference semifinals. We have the one-seeded Vegas Golden Knights versus the five-seeded Vancouver Canucks. In this series, I have the Knights winning the series in five games. I don't see the Knights slowing down at all. The goaltending of Fleury and Leonard has been fantastic. And the goal, te- uh, the goal scoring of Stone and Marchessault and the return of a healthy Max Pacioretty will bring this team to the series win. Yeah, K-Dog, I was going back and forth on this game. You know, at first I thought the Golden Knights and the Canucks back and forth. But I'm going to pick the young Canucks to beat the imposter Golden Knights wow. in six games. Call them for the upset. And, and I call them the imposter gold. You know why I call them the imposter Golden Knights? Because my alma mater, Clarkson, are the original Golden Knights. But anyway, um, you know, Vegas has more experience, believe it or not. Vegas, mm-hmm. only in its third year in the league, has more playoff experience than the Canucks, right? Remember, mm-hmm. they lost in the Stanley Cup Finals their first year in existence. Both teams have scoring depth, team speed, solid defense. Vegas has only lost one game in the playoffs to date. But Canucks Joe, uh, goalie Jacob Markstrom, you know, he's been exceptional with a 2.44 goals against and one shutout. Robin Leonard is 5-1 and one with 2.44 goals against. You talked about the tandem that Vegas has in goal, you know, pretty much the same as Markstrom. And although I think Leonard is better, this is pretty much a toss up with respect to goaltending on the offensive side. I love the young Canucks. The Canucks have three players in the top 12 in playoff scoring with Pedersen, JT Miller and Quinn Hughes. You know, you've talked about Bo Horvat a lot and Mm -hmm. he's, he's not far behind in scoring. He's at number 21. Meanwhile, Vegas has only Mark Stone in the top 26 in playoff scoring. So as a result, I think the young upstart Canucks outscore the Knights to win the series in six games. Could this finally be the year the Canucks win the Stanley Cup? That would be very interesting if the Canucks could beat the Golden Knights because I think they could beat the the winner of the next series in the West, which is the two Colorado Avalanche versus the three Dallas Stars. I have the Avalanche winning this series in six. This will be a great contest between the goaltenders. Both duos are insane in net, no matter who's in it. It will come down to the stars of McKinnon and Ratnanen versus Sagan and Ben. I think the Avalanche are faster and smarter, which leads them to a series win. Yeah, K-Dog, I'm with you. I'm picking the Avs in five games. I thought the Avs were one of two teams that could realistically come out of the West. The other being, you know, Vegas, which I've had to change my thought on because I'm going with Vancouver to beat Vegas, as you just heard. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Avs are the landslide coming towards you that you can't stop. And, and the Stars will burn out in this round. They won two of three in the seeding and dominated Phoenix in five games. 
Dallas on a high with two big comebacks, one in OT in the Flame series. I give the goaltending edge to Colorado. Dallas will have Anton Kadobin in goal with Ben Bishop unfit to play for a number of games. Kadobin was in goal against Avs and Round Robin, and they lost for Zip. I think that's all you need to know about this series. Avs will have Philip Grubauer in goal, who was in goal for all four games against the Coyotes with a 9.53 save percentage. Advantage in goal to Colorado. Colorado offense is significantly more powerful than Dallas, led by Norris Trophy finalist Nathan McKinnon, who is leading scorer in the playoffs, and Nazim Kadre. Colorado has won four of eight games by three or more goals. Although Dallas is getting a little more offense from, from their, from their uh, forwards. They were struggling a bit, but they're getting more offense from Pavelski and Gurianov. But it's not enough. Lastly, Colorado's power play is scoring at a 30% rate, which is incredible. While Stars mm-hmm. have a 72% power uh, penalty kill. You know, all of this for me spells victory for Colorado who will vie for the Western Conference Championship. Mm-hmm. That is true. We'll see what happens in this series of the playoffs for the NHL. But on to our next topic, we have the MLB division review. We're going to go over the leaders in each division. So we'll start in the NL East. Uh, the Braves are first and the Marlins are second. The Braves are an obvious choice in the first spot. But um, the Marlins were in first uh, the last time we talked two weeks ago, and now they are t- now they are eleven and eleven. I believe they are five hundred. The Mets have had their number over and over again, so the Braves are the obvious choice in first, but the Marlins are shaky right now. Yeah, K Dog. You know preseason predictions in the NL East. I picked the Braves and the the Nats and the Mets. Right now it's Braves, Marlins, and Mets. You know. Um, I, I think uh, I didn't expect the Marlins, that's for sure, but that may be short-lived. The Marlins are three and seven in the last 10 games. Mets beat them three straight this week. Nats are a little bit of, of a disappointment with a 440 win percentage, but you know there's still a lot of time for them to get back in it. So we'll see. Right now it, it looks uh, as though at least the Braves, one of my picks will, will be there. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that is true. Um, now on to the AL East. Uh, the Rays are in first place and the Yankees are in second. This is no surprise either because the Rays have the pitching talent and also the depth in their lineup. The Yankees fall to second place now because of they have tons of injuries left and right. Labor Torres and James Paxton now join the IL with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Um, the Rays, they could make a run for the first place in the AL East. I think they'll, they could stay in the first place. But the Yankees, if they get healthy again, will take them over. The AL East, uh, my predictions to make the playoffs in the AL East were the Yankees and the Rays. I thought the Yankees would finish first. Rays finished second. You know, although, uh, you know, I said the Rays could give the Yankees trouble because they have the, the pitching depth. I thought they had uh, the, some of the best pitching in the American League. So it's really not a surprise that they're 1-2. I'm just surprised it's the Rays in first and the Yanks in second. But, you know, the Rays swept them uh, last week. 
uh, and uh, moved into first per- place. But mm-hmm. these picks are aligned with what I, what I thought was going to happen. But you know what? You got to watch out for the Blue Jays. The Buffalo Blue Jays are catching fire, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're at 500 right now, and and so are the Orioles. So this is pretty interesting because uh, you know we thought it would be a two-team race, Rays Yanks, but the Buffalo Blue Jays are on fire and they're making a move. Yeah, it seems like the AL East is a very deep division this year. As long as, as well as the NL East, they are both very deep divisions, in my opinion. On to the next division, we will go with the NL Central. The Cubs are in first, and the Cardinals are in second. The Cubs are a surprise to me because I thought they would be maybe a wild card team at best, but they're showing with the the new young coach and David Ross that they are here to play they are here to be a World Series contender Rizzo and Brian as well as the pitching of Kyle Hendricks and Hugh Darvish show why they should be a first place team I thought with the new young coach that they wouldn't have much success but it looks like he's doing the job and the Cardinals are in second I had them as my first place team to start out the season they are performing well as as well in the NL Central And I think that the pitching of Jack Flaherty and then the young guns of Tommy Edmond could take them to to the playoffs as well. Yes, K-Dog, you and I are aligned. Uh, If you recall at the beginning of the season, I picked the Cubs, Cards, and the Reds to come out of the NL Central for the playoff postseason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, that looks pretty good with the Cubs and the Cards. The Reds if the season ended today would not make the playoffs at the halfway point, but they're right in it. They can, they can make a move. Uh, how, and the Cubs cards pick looks pretty good, pretty good. You know, you got to remember the cards started slow. They, you know, they were, they were on pause because of the COVID-19 mm-hmm. and some of their players with that. So they've come back pretty strong. The Cubs have been strong from the outset. We'll see if the Reds could get it going. Their pitching's got to step it up. And uh, if they do, they, they could still make the uh, playoffs. And then uh, my three picks out of the NL Central uh, will look good. Yeah, you're right. On to the AL Central. The Minnesota Twins are in first place, and the Cleveland Indians are in second place. There's no surprise in these two for me. Uh, I had the Twins in first and the Indians in second with a possible wild card chance as the the White Sox, which they're right behind both of these teams. Uh, The Twins are no surprise. They have great pitching as well as a possible AL MVP in Nelson Cruz hitting home runs left and right. And the Indians in second also have fantastic pitching and a great lineup with Carlos Santana and... Uh, Shane Bieber as pitcher, possible Cy Young Award winner in the future. I think both of these teams are going to make the playoffs in the end. The AL Central is very competitive, right? You ta- you called it Twins, Indians, Chai Sox. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I picked all three of these teams to make the playoffs. Come, I thought three teams would come out of the AL Central. Uh, and right now, uh, that looks pretty good. The... the um, Twins and the Indians are, are doing a lot with pitching. The White Sox, their hitting's been incredible. You talked about the potential AL MVPs coming from the Chai Sox and uh, Shane Bieber. 
as a potential Cy Young Award winner, uh, holding down the fort for the Indians. And the Twins just keep on winning. So, you know, these were the three teams I expected to come out of the AL Central. And as time goes on, it looks like that may be the case. Mm -hmm. Now on to the NL West. The Dodgers are in first and the Padres are in second. The Dodgers in first is no surprise either. They were picked to be the favorite to come out of the NL, and they're showing it with only eight losses on their record, 22 wins, I believe. They are just hitting the lights out of the ball. The pitching is also stellar. I thought they would be out of out of luck with uh, Ryu leaving to the Blue Jays, but it seems that they filled the holes in that spot. And the young Padre squad is in second. Fernando Tatis, MVP candidate, is insane right now, hitting over 300 multiple home runs. It, it's truly a great time to be a Padres fan, I think. Yeah, K-Dog, um, I know you were high on the Franciscans, and right now they look really good. Um, I picked the Dodgers to come in first in that division and make the postseason. I did not pick San Diego, who looked to be in really good shape at the halfway mark with a 600 win percentage. Uh, unfortunately, I picked the Diamondbacks to make the playoffs, and uh, they reside in the cellar with us. Welcome to the cellar, Diamondbacks, with a 448 win percentage. Doesn't look like they'll make the postseason at the halfway mark. So, you know, looks like I get one of two. You look to be right on currently with the Dodgers and the Padres, uh, one, two right now and, and looking good. Yeah. Now on to our last division. We're going to the AL West. The Athletics are in first and the Astros are in second. The Athletics are, are showing why they're in first place. I think we both had them to win the division in the West. They're one of the most underrated teams in the league. They have a deep lineup and also deep pitching staff starting with uh, Freed. I think with this team, this team could make a run for the World Series. I think they could possibly take down the Yankees in the playoffs. We'll see. And then the Asterix are in second. I, For me, this was no surprise either. They still had, even though they had the cheating scandal and everything, they lost their managers and stuff, they still have a deep lineup with Correa, Springer, Bregman, Altuve, is not performing well whatsoever. So it seems that he took advantage of the, the cheating scandal, but they still have the pitching as well in Granky. And if they get Verlander back, they will be a world series contender. Yeah. in the AL West, you and I definitely agreed on the A's and I also, um, we agreed on the A's and, and the A's are strong. Uh, you and I talked about it many times. They're pitching strong offensively strong, coached well, all around a uh, good game. You know, the asterisks are in second place at this point in time. You know, they'll, they'll be there because this is a weak division because after the asterisks, the division falls off dramatically. You know, uh, I, I, I picked the Angels to, to uh, make the postseason. Uh, they're currently in the cellar with us. So, you know, Ken, we got good company. With the, mm -hmm. with the Angels as well joining us in the cellar. Um, I, I thought the A's and Asterisk would be playoff bound, but, you know, again, pick the Angels, who at this point uh, 
I don't think are going to make it with a 310 winning percentage, which is the worst in the AL alongside mm-hmm. the uh, Boston Red Sox. So uh, I, I see the A's pulling away on this one. The asterisks will hang in. And, you know, and the question becomes, will the Buffalo Blue Jays and or the Orioles keep winning and go ahead of the asterisks for the for the playoffs? Yeah, you're right. They could they could possibly pass them to make the playoffs on to our next topic in the MLB. We are going to the MLB midseason awards. Since we're halfway through the season in the MLB in a 60-game season, we'll start out with the AL MVP. And for my pick, I have DJ LeMahieu of the New York Yankees. Right now he's sporting a 411 batting average with 15 runs and eight RBIs batted in. That's a pretty good choice, but I'm not going with LeMahieu. As my AL MVP, I'm going with Nelson Cruz of the Chicago White Mm -hmm. Sox, DH. Through 28 games played, he has 10 home runs, number two in the league. He's got 26 ribeye stakes, third in the league. He's batting 343, third in the league. 687 slugging percentage, third in the league. And a 1.122 OPS first in the league. So, you know, the, the, the Chai Sox offense has been really dynamic. And uh, Nelson Cruz is a big part of that offense. Yeah, I have uh, Nelson Cruz as my second and my runner-up as of right now. Now on to the NL MVP. So so for staying with the AL MVP for a minute, speaking of runner-ups, my number two, I'm staying with the Chicago White Sox K-Dog, and I'm Mm. taking first baseman Jose Abreu. Yeah. right. He's got Mm -hmm. through, through 29 games, he's got 11 homers, first in the league, 28 ribbies, first in the league, 322 average, fifth in the league, 669 slugging percentage, fourth in the league, and a 1.035 OPS, sixth in the league. So, you know, the, the Chai Sox have a serious dynamic duo at the plate. And, um, you know, overall they're hitting second in the American League, Chicago. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the White Sox have a pretty good lineup with a, lot, a bunch of power hitters. Now on to... The NL MVP category, I'm going to go with the Padres' young gun, Fernando Tatis Jr. He has a 314 batting average with 37 hits. 12 of those are home runs, 29 RBIs, and he's flashing the leather in the out in the infield. I think he could also be a gold glove winner. K-Dog, uh, you read my mind because I, I took Tatis Jr. as the uh... – leading contender for the NL MVP at the halfway point as well. Did you have a second place contender? Uh, As of right now, I don't have one in mind. Do you have any in mind? I do. Um, For number two, I'm picking Mookie Betts as the runner-up to Fernando Tatis. Through 28 games, he's hitting 300, 16th in the league. He's got 11 home runs. He's in second behind Tatis. He's got 24 ribbies, second behind Tatis. He's only struck out 19 times. Tatis has struck out 35 times. Uh, he's got a 6.64 slugging percentage, third in the league, and a 1.032 uh, OPS, fifth in the league. So Mookie Betts is breathing down Tatis Jr.'s neck for the uh, NL MVP at this point, and uh, 
that the Dodgers seem to be getting their money's worth from Mookie. Yeah, you're right. Mookie is actually hitting lights out of the ball. I completely forgot because we usually don't get the opportunity to watch the NL West usually because they are 10 o'clock start time in the East. Now on to the NL Cy Young. I'm going to go with the person that has won this back-to-back years, Jacob deGrom. He's 2-0 and right now, sporting a 1.93 ERA and 35 strikeouts. As of right now, I think you have to give it to the person that's won it back-to-back years. He's pitching like he should pitch. He's one of the best pitchers I've seen in my lifetime. I think he has a chance to win it. Yeah, I, I like Jacob Degrom as well. You know that we're Mets fans. You're 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 a homer picking him. I'm not picking him. Uh, for my NL Cy Young, I am picking you, Darvish of the Chicago Cubs, Kate. Wow. wow. Currently, wow. well, listen to this. Currently, Darvish is five and one in six starts. Mm-hmm. He has a one point seven zero ERA. Pitching 36, uh, 37 innings, seven earned runs, 44 Ks, and six walks. He's given up one earned run or less in five of six starts, and he gave up three runs in his first start of the season in a loss to Milwaukee. Since then, he's been lights out. He's, he's given the Cubs length with six innings pitched in five of his six outings. You know, the Cubs are finally getting their money's worth from Darvish, and I, I picked him. Yeah, that's an interesting pick. For my runner-up, though, I have uh, Trevor Bauer of the Cincinnati Reds. He's pitching out of his mind right now. He's 3-1 and one with a 1.65 ERA and 49 strikeouts, only giving up nine walks in that and six total earned runs. I think he's the runner-up for me right now. Yeah, I have two runner-ups in the NL, Trevor Bauer was one of them. And then uh, Mike Freed of the Braves. Oh, yes, yes. So so currently he's 4-0, K-Dog, in six starts. He's got a 1.32 ERA, 34 innings pitched, 5 earned, 33 Ks, 11 walks. He's given up one earned run or less in five of his six starts. He gave up two earned runs in his first start against, against the Yanks, but, you know, the Yanks, they're, they're a high powered offense mm-hmm. so you know he's not giving Atlanta a lot of length as some of the other pitchers not going more than six innings pitch but he, he's he, but he has probably been the Braves best pitcher thus far even even better than Soroka yeah you're right Freed is taking advantage right now he he's one of the best pitchers in the NL obviously and with Soroka out with the Achilles injury he has to step up even more in it and he's proving it with the, these numbers at the uh, at the mound right now. Well, hopefully Jake can finish strong and he can win his third in a row. We'd love that, certainly. Yeah, that would be huge. But now on to the AL Cy Young. I'm going with the probably most obvious pick, Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. He is 5-0. and He has a 1.11 ERA and 65 strikeouts to boot. He's probably the best pitcher out right now. Yeah, you know, uh, K-Dog, I'm with you on that. AL, Cy Young, uh, Shane Bieber, Cleveland. You talked about, you know, his his stats at this point. I'll go into just a little bit further. 
40 innings pitched, 25 hits, five earned, 65 Ks to only six walks. Mm -hmm. 65 Ks to six walks. He's pitching at least six innings in each of his starts, so he's giving the Indians length. He didn't give up any earned runs, any earned runs in four of his six starts. Uh, so, you know, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Do you have a runner-up? As of right now, I don't have a runner-up for I do. I do have a runner-up in the AL. So the, the runner-up in the AL for me is Lance Lynn of Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so he has a 3-0 record uh, on a bad Texas team. He's got a 1.37 ERA, 39 innings pitch, 20 hits, 6 earned runs, 42K, 12 walks. He's, mm-hmm. give, he's given up one earned run or less in four of six starts. And he's pitching six innings or more in every start except one start, which was five innings pitched. And he also has a complete game against the uh, high-scoring sc- Colorado Rockies. So, you know, Lance is giving Texas a lot of length in his starts. And, and for me, he's a very close second at this point. Yeah, Lance Lynn is pitching really well in the AL. He he is a great runner-up, in my opinion. Now on to the NL Rookie of the Year. I'm going with someone from the Padres once again. I'm going with Jake Cronenworth. He has a 347 batting average, 26 hits, 12 RBIs, three home runs, and one of those home runs was a grand slam to extend the Padres' uh Grand Slam record, five out of six games. He's one of the great young stars, and I think he'll be a great complement to Fernando Tatis Jr. in the future. Yeah, K Dog, um, you must have been looking at my notes again. Maybe I left them in the in your dorm room, but anyhow, uh, I, I went with Cronenworth as well. Uh, and in addition to the offensive stats that you've talked about, he's mm-hmm. excellent defensively as well, and he could play many different positions. So he's been playing first base for the Padres. He's been playing second base for the Padres. He's played a little shortstop for the Padres. And, uh, you know, on both sides with the glove and at the plate, he's doing well. So this young man uh, played for Michigan University, drafted seventh round by Tampa in, in 2015. And it looks like he's just arrived. Yeah, you are right. Do you have a runner up for the NL rookie of the year? I do. Do you want to hear my runner-up for NL yeah. Rookie of the Year, K-Dog? Yeah. So I am going with David Peterson of the New York Metropolitans. Okay. Pitcher, okay. pitcher. Yeah. So listen to this. He leads all rookies with a 2.91 ERA, mm-hmm. and, he won, and he's won three of his first four starts before going on the DL. Right? So, yep. you know, uh, he, he pitched for Oregon, Oregon University as a duck, right? First round yep. by the Mets in 2017. And, uh, you know, he's been a good surprise for the Metropolitans in a uh, starting rotation that has been hit hard by injury and opting out. Yeah, you are right. I was, I was going to pick one of the Mets' young guns in Jimenez or Peterson, but I, I would have felt like I was being biased maybe. But you're – you had Peterson as well. I would. I had Jimenez as well too. He's up there with the NL Rookie of the Year, I think, too, in my opinion. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, if he continues to get that body of work, he'll be right there. Yeah, that is true. Now on to the AL Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go with uh, a Seattle Mariner in Kyle Lewis. He is hitting 368 batting average with seven home runs, 39 hits, and 19 RBIs. Yeah, I picked him, too, as the AL leader. You know, you talked about him, outfielder. He's 25 years old from Georgia, 11th pick in the 2016 draft from Mercer College. You know, through 29 games, he's 12th in the league in a homer, 16th in the league in RBIs, second in the league in batting average at 368, 11th in the league slugging 585, and fourth in the league OPS with a 1.041. So, you know, this, this guy is doing it all at the plate. You know, and he's not only just contending for AL Rookie of the Year, but if he keeps these numbers up, you know, he, he might be in taught in uh, the conversation for the AL MVP. Yeah, you are right. Uh, do you have the runner-up for the AL Rookie of the Year? I do. Do you want to hear who my runner-up for the AL Rookie of the Year is, K-Dog? Yep. Luis Robert outfielder of the Chicago White Sox, mm-hmm. right? So we talked about the White Sox offense. This kid's 23 from Cuba. Through 26 games, he's hit seven home runs, 12th in the league, 17 ribbies, 17th in the league. He's got a four, a 541 slugging percentage and 862 OPS. So, you know, uh, Kyle Lewis's numbers are significantly better at this point, but this guy is doing pretty darn good as well. Yeah, you're right. He He's a bright young star for the White Sox. Now on to the Mets and Yankees rewind. We'll start with the Mets. The Mets haven't played in almost a week. They started out, they started out the last week pretty hot, almost sweeping the Marlins, but Two people came down with cases of the coronavirus, which halted play for the third game of the of the Marlins and halted the whole entire series against the Yankees, which I was looking forward to, especially the rewind of the Mets and Yankees. It would have tied in perfectly. But the Mets right now are on a break. They come back tomorrow, I believe, and we'll see how they play. Yeah, so you know, so currently the Mets are they have a 462 winning percentage, third best in the National League, believe it or not, ninth in the NL. You know, before they had a pause because of a player coming down with the the COVID, they were swept by the Phillies, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they started to get healthy against the Marlins, as you talked about. They won three of the four first four games outscoring Miami 24 to 10 before the pandemic hit, you know, the the first game the Mets needed to slug their way to the win because they started Gazelman, you know, in the, and it was another bullpen game uh, because the Mets starting rotation is in bad shape right due to injury. Uh, Thankfully everyone hit in game one with uh, 14 hits, 11 runs led by Robbie Cano Mm-hmm. Peter, Peter Alonzo, right? And then game two was an 8-3 win. Again, the Mets, they needed to slug their way to the win because they had Corey Oswalt starting, you know, yeah. who, who went four innings, giving up two earn. So not a quality start again, with that being another bullpen game. You know, and the Mets, again, had 10 hits in, in this one. You know, they were led by Nimmo, Dom Smith, who's on fire, 
and even Rosario chipped in in that game. Mm-hmm. And then the then the third game game that uh, was a five three game. You know the Mets had an actual starting pitcher with the goat going, and uh, Jake was stellar. Six innings pitch, four hits, zero earned, seven Ks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullpen tried to hard to blow this game with Familia and Batances and Diaz each giving up an earned run. You know, and the Mets again had ten hits, led by Dom Smith and you know your favorite Luis Guillorme. Yep. So you know the bats were starting to starting to heat up, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, then they had came down with the COVID. So that resulted in the last game, of the Marlins series and the Subway series with Yanks being postponed, you know, and they're going to return on Tuesday against the Marlins at Shea. So, you know, the question is, K-Dog, how will the coronavirus impact the, the Mets, right? So mm-hmm. in my opinion, to first order, it may help the, their pitching get a little bit more healthy may give time for Peterson and Waka to get healthy because the Mets need these guys desperately. They yeah. can't they can't compete pitching Gazelman and Oswald or Walter Lockett for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, they they were so desperate they were going to take their best reliever, Seth Lugo, and have him start again. You know, th- this shows their desperation. If you think they can count on Familia Batances and Diaz to pitch two quality innings combined in relief. You know, that, that's, very, that's very scary, but hopefully uh, the delay helps them get healthy. But on the other side of the coin, the hitting was the best it's been all season prior to the pause. And yeah, the you're question, right. You know, the question is whether the hitting's improving or is the Marlins pitching weak? And, you know, it's probably a combination of both. But, you know, hopefully nobody gets seriously ill. The Mets pitching gets healthy and the Mets hitting doesn't lose momentum. You know, if that happens, this may benefit the Mets, you know. Yeah, you're right. The Mets right now have had the Marlins number all year long, in my opinion. They've they've tore the cover off the ball every time they've played the Marlins. It's probably a combination of both, like you said. The Mets hitting has started to get a little hot, and the Marlins, in fact, aren't a great team as they thought they were with the hot start in the beginning of the year. But the hots for the Mets right now, in my opinion, is Dom Smith and Luis Guillorme continues to produce in numbers that we wouldn't thought imaginable, in my opinion, for Guillorme. Dom Smith is taking advantage of the Cespedes departure, hitting the lights out of the ball as well. It's just... It seems like the young kids are getting their opportunity now. Yeah, K Dog. You know, and and um, that that's a really really good point. So hopefully they're gaining confidence, which will help them down the stretch. You know, and another aspect of the coronavirus impacting the Mets, which I think might be helpful, is you know I like the they're they're going to have to play a lot of double headers now. The Mets to catch up, mm-hmm. and I and I like the Mets in the little league style, seven inning game, double headers. Yeah. Right? If their starting pitching is healthy because then they don't have to pitch the bullpen. Their starters should be able to go five or six innings. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you only have to pull up, you know, put the bullpen in for one inning. So these little league double headers due to the Corona might help them, them quite a bit. Right. Yeah. You're and, right. And, and the other thing we can't forget K dog, and this is probably the most important date for the Mets fans is August 31st is when the final bids are due for the sale of the Mets. 
So the, the countdown is on mm-hmm. to getting rid of the Will Clowns. On to the predictions for the Mets this week. They have, I believe, three doubleheaders this week. They play the Marlins in a doubleheader with two games after that, and then they play two doubleheaders against the Yankees with a single game in between the Friday and Sunday doubleheaders. So I had, before they released the doubleheader schedule, I had the Mets as four and two. I said that they'll sweep the Marlins and lose two out of three to the Yankees. But now I will give the, I I think the Mets will sweep the doubleheader. So they win. I think they'll win all four games against the, the Marlins. I think they'll, the Mets will take two more games They'll take two from the Yankees, two more games from the Yankees. So three out of six, I think they could possibly do that. Okay, dog. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I, I think the Mets will win three out of four against the Marlins. I just don't see them sweeping the Marlins at, at this point. And as far as the Yankees, uh, five ga- or six games with the Yankees, that, that'll be interesting because right now, as and, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to the Yankees, is, you know, the Yankees are a little bit vulnerable, both with their pitching staff and both with their hitting. So, mm-hmm. you know, up to this point, if it was six games between the Mets-Yanks, I would have said uh, the Mets might win two, lose four. But I could see them splitting this series. Yeah, you're right. I, th- I think I could see them splitting the series. But since you were on the – talking about the Yankees, we'll move to the other side of New York and we'll talk about the Bronx Bombers. The The Yankees, to start the week, finished off their series against the Red Sox. They swept the Red Sox that series. Then they went on to the Rays, which they got swept against, and the injuries started to pile on against the Rays. They lost Glaber Torres and James Paxton. Even though Paxton was not a great performer before the injury. They still need him to perform to perform well. They can't be using minor league pitchers because their starting pitching is already vulnerable at best. They're shaky. Now they lost their young star in Glaber Torres, who is finally starting to heat up. And I don't I don't know what's gonna happen to them in the future now. Yeah, it's unfortunate for the Yanks. You know, they they went through this last year, and you know, let, let's let's talk about the Yanks for a moment because you know, last week was a big week when we reviewed the division leaders at the you know halfway point of the season. We talked how the Rays leapfrog frogged the Yankees for first place, right? So, you know, uh, they got swept by Tampa which is uh, the team I thought may give the Yankees a challenge. Uh, the sweep put the Rays in front of, uh, of the Yanks. The Rays, and, and ironically, the Rays did it with their bats, and they outscored the Yankees 20 to 10, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, the Rays outslugged the Bronx Bombers, which, which is very surprising. And, and the other thing is the Rays beat the Yankees for the sixth time in seven games this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're the first team to sweep the Yanks at the stadium since Cleveland in 2017, you know, and um, I, I thought that if I thought if the Yanks had an Achilles heel, it would be their pitching, which it which wasn't deep to start with. 
and has been plagued by injury and inconsistency. You know, looking at, at these games against the Rays, the first game, the Rays took Tanaka to the woodshed. You know, surprisingly, Tanaka has been solid until this start. The Rays touched him up for five earned over four innings pitched. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and meanwhile, Blake Snell in the bullpen held the Yanks to three earned. So, you know, game one, the uh, pitching let him down, and Tanaka surprisingly let him down, has been solid. You know, game two, the Yanks lose 4-2. This game was tied at two going into the eighth inning with Zach Britton getting touched up for a couple runs. Garrett Cole started the game going six and two-thirds, two earned runs before being taken out. You know, he gave up two t- solo shots. Uh, Cole was at 109 pitches, needed one out to finish the seventh when Boone took him out, and Cole was not happy that Boone took him out at that point. He showed his displeasure with this move. Mm -hmm. You know, they exchanged some words, you know, and then he went off in the dugout. Uh, It was especially hard to swallow when the bullpen lost the lead that he was taken out. Um, You know, and then the last game of the series, the Rays just bombed the Yankees 10 to 5. They put the exclamation point on the series. The Yanks pitching betrayed them in this game. You talked about Paxton's injury. You know, he started the game three earned over five innings pitch. And then, you know, the usually reliable Adam Ottavino gave up three earned uh, runs over two-thirds of an inning. And then uh, that was followed by ex-Met Louis Avalon. Thank goodness he's an ex-Met. Giving Mm -hmm. up two earned runs over a third of an inning. And then Luis Sessa, two earned over one inning, right? I, I, I thought I was watching the Mets bullpen, yeah. you know, because that's the way the Yankees bullpen perform. It was like, you know, this should be in Queens and not in uh, the Bronx, right? So I thought, mm-hmm. the, I thought the Yanks would slug their way to the World Series, and they still can, and, they probably, and they're probably going to have to. You know, the offense is still being led by Luke Voigt, who's having a tremendous year. Mike Talkman, Gia Urshela, Urshela, and Clint Frazier in the mm-hmm. absence of their stars, Judge Stanton and LeMahieu, and now Glaber, you talked about him. You know, the injuries keep mounting for the Yanks with the, you know, key reliever Zach Britton going on the DL. You talked about Paxton and Glaber. You know, and the Yanks faced the injury problem in 2019. They were able to overcome it due to their depth. I think they can overcome it with their everyday players, but I'm not sure they have pitching depth to overcome any more injuries to their staff. You know, the Rays have proven to be a formidable opponent. The postponement of the Subway Series comes at a pretty good time for the Yanks. They get a couple of days off and some time to continue to heal before they open a series with the Bravos, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Yanks to this point have handled the Braves uh, they handled them easily last time out. So, so we'll see what happens with the Yanks. But, you know, um, if uh, these guys don't pick it up and if they can't find pitching and the Rays continue to move on after this week, you know, they might find a little bit more distance between them and the Rays. Yeah, you're right. The, the funny thing is, as soon as they get a roll this Chapman back, it seems that the bullpen started imploding, which, was, which is weird. That is and, weird, and that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, and I had like I had pro I found problems with both teams. I feel like the starting pitching for the Mets and Yankees, both of them, they're getting hurt, they're getting decimated by injury, 
Injuries on both sides of New York have been a problem as well with Robinson Cano getting hurt, David Peterson, obviously, Waka, and now Glaber and Paxson on the other side of New York. And it seems lately that the Yankees against the Rays had trouble with runners in scoring position. They couldn't drive them home. Yeah, maybe they've been watching Mets video. Yeah, you're right. And for the final, we'll go on to the Yankees' week record. I think they'll split with the Yan- with the Braves, and then I think they'll split with the Mets. So they'll have a they'll, they have a two game series against the Braves. They'll split that. Then they'll have a six game series against the Mets. They'll split that. So I think they'll split both ways in in this week's uh, prediction from the Yankees. Yeah, as we talked about, I I think the Mets and Yanks will split, uh, but I think uh, the Yanks will beat the Braves too. Two out of two, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So they'll, they'll be uh, five and three after this week. That, that's what I think will happen. Yeah, that is interesting. But that's it from the seller today. And here's hoping that our teams get out of the seller soon. It's up to you, New 